Well, let's go ahead and get started. Thanks, uh, those of you who are joining us here this morning. Um, trying something new here. I really, I've been itching to get back into Bible study. I thought, well, today's a great opportunity. Do I have a perfect plan for how this is going to work going forward? No, of course not. Um, but I figured let's at least get the ball rolling and um, in subsequent weeks, I'll kind of figure out the scheduling and, and when it's going to work. Lord willing, we're going to be getting to a full education hour here pretty soon with both Sunday school and Bible study. And, uh, and obviously it'll slot in there. Until then, we'll just, we'll figure out a time and I'll keep you guys, um, um, filled in on all of that. So let me uh, open us with a word of prayer. Dearest Lord Jesus, we thank you that you come down to meet us, that you lift us up by your grace and through the, the work of your Holy Spirit, and then you set us firm on our feet in order to follow you. And we pray, Lord, that um, as we delve into the study of the spiritual disciplines, we would learn more and more how to die to ourselves and to live to you, to follow in the way that leads to eternal life. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so before I get into the stuff of today's study, some of you might be wondering, well, wait a second, if you joined us in worship and if it worked somewhat, it, I gathered that there was maybe some glitches along the way, but the gist of the sermon today, it was contrasting human ladder theology, all of our efforts to climb up to God versus divine ladder theology, how God comes down to us in his son, Jesus you say, well, how do spiritual disciplines fit into this vision of divine ladder theology? And uh, as I, I tried to show in that sermon, it's not a matter of that we don't apply ourselves in following the Lord. It's a question of where does that energy come from and what is the motivation for it? See, So the motivation for you and me is we are compelled, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are compelled by the love of Christ because we know that we are God's children, because we know that we are beloved by him, then we desire to honor him and to, to grow more closely to him. And then in terms of the energy for it, it doesn't just come from our own human effort, but it's working together, Paul says, with the, with the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, so that even as we apply ourselves to spiritual disciplines, it's not our work, it's his work in us as we strive to put ourselves in a position in which we're able to receive his grace and follow with him, follow him more closely. So I think it's going to come out more and more, and it's a theme that we'll return to again and again as we go throughout this study, because I think the way that the spiritual disciplines can go wrong is obviously when it just becomes about me doing my exercises in order to, you know, impress God or impress other people. And that's obviously not the point. Um, but we're just going to get after it here. I want to start by um, sharing a little anecdote uh, as a kind of a way of analogy, thinking about why this stuff is important. So uh, five years or so ago, and some of you have heard me tell the story before, um, when we were still living in Spokane, it was November 17th, 2015. I'll never forget the day. And there was this awful windstorm in Spokane. It was like nothing that anybody had ever seen there, that certainly that we had ever seen, um, where it was hurricane force winds in the 70 mile per hour range, just blowing through the city. And come to find out that this town, which is littered with um, uh, great big ponderosa pine trees, that these pine trees, 70 feet, 80 feet tall, don't have real deep roots. And in particular, this is because as the, uh, throughout town, people have their sprinklers on, they're sprinkling the grass. Apparently, I learned this after the fact, the trees don't have to um, dig their roots down too deep because they can get the water right there at the surface when people are sprinkling. So suffice it to say, all of these great big trees were just waiting to topple over. Now, it was going to take a lot. It wasn't just going to you know, be pushed right over. But when that windstorm hit, 
all over town. It looked like a war zone as these huge ponderosa pines are splitting, breaking, uprooting, falling on homes and cars and just generally making a mess. And uh, at our house, so I, I tell the anecdote about how I was at a church meeting and uh, I get the phone call and uh, the, uh, the church secretary comes and says, pastor, you're, uh, there's a phone call for you. And I'm like, well, I'm in a meeting. I'll take it later. She leaves, comes back a minute later. Pastor, it's your wife on the phone. <laughs> I said, okay, please take a message. Tell her I'll, I'll call her back real soon. She leaves, comes back a third time and says, pastor, your wife says a tree has fallen on your house and you need to come home right now. <laughs> I said, okay. And like right after she said that, the power went out at the church. I hustled, drove back home while I'm like driving around trees on the way. I get back to find this huge tree had uh, split in half and just smashed right onto our house, gone through the roof and done all kinds of damage. Beatrice, who was just a baby at the time, she was actually in her crib. And thankfully, um, the tree fell on a, a different part of the house. But when Anne went up there to grab her, what did she say, Anne? She, she just looked at Anne. She was about a year and a half old, I guess. And she says, boom. <laughs> uh, epilogue to that story, Spokane actually had another awful windstorm just last week. And we got a picture from our old house that another one of those ponderosa pines had uprooted and fallen. Fortunately, it didn't fall on anybody's house this time. Why do I tell you this story? Well, I think it's probably obvious. I learned the hard way, the importance of deep roots. And I think that this speaks to us spiritually in our life of faith, that we need deep roots. Not so much for the good times, when the, the sunny days and when life is easy breezy, just like with those ponderosa pines. For most of the time, they were fine. But it's when the going gets tough that we especially need that deep rootedness in faith. And I think the spiritual disciplines are a way to help us to cultivate that kind of those deep roots and that spiritual resilience. You'd look at something like Psalm 1. You have this on your handout here. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So according to Psalm 1, the wicked are like tumbleweeds, right? They are rootless and just blown along by the wind. Whereas the righteous like that deeply rooted tree alongside the waters. Now, the challenge, I think, for many of us as Christians is that we are born and baptized and claimed by Christ, and we are little saplings in the faith. We wonder, well, how can I go from being a, a sapling to being a strongly rooted tree? What's the, what's the path? What's the, the way toward that, toward that Christian maturity? First and foremost, of course, is receiving, regularly receiving God's gifts and word and sacrament that those are the, the nourishing um, gifts that the Lord uses in order to strengthen us and to grow us up. Um, but I want to submit to you that the spiritual disciplines are a, a way that lo the Lord uses that word and those uh, gifts and, and the sacraments in order to continually nourish us and lead us into greater maturity. 
And today I'm going to be really setting forth um, an overview of how that happens. And then in subsequent weeks, we're going to get into specific spiritual disciplines. So if you look at your handout, number two, I want to introduce another word into your vocabulary here alongside talking about the spiritual disciplines. And that is the word piety. Um, and maybe when you hear piety, you don't necessarily have the most positive um, view of what piety is. Maybe for you that is equated with, you know, kind of self-righteousness or somebody who's very pietistic. And I want to make a contrast with this in just a minute. But right here, I just want to set out a definition of piety, a working definition, that piety is actively abiding in God's word. Piety is actively abiding in God's word. And each of those words is doing a lot of work there. So it's active, it's not merely passive, and it's abiding. And this is a, pop, uh, a common word that Jesus uses to describe our relationship to him, that we abide as the branches to the vine. We are abiding in him. There is a passive aspect to that of our receiving from him, but then there's also an active aspect to that. And that is the shape of our, our piety. And let me point, the, point you to a passage here so from John chapter 8. Familiar passage. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we'll become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So notice the uh, progression there. As Jesus says in the words that I italicize, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, it's fascinating the order that this goes in because Jesus doesn't start with knowing the truth. He starts with abiding in the word. And I think what he's expressing is that there is a kind of knowing that only comes first through that relationship. German has a nice distinction where German has two words for knowing, uh, wissen and kennen. And wissen is this really, uh, you know, cognitive intellectual kind of knowing. You wissen particular facts and details. On the other hand, kennen is a relational experiential knowing. You kennen a friend or a family member. Or we might say you kennen um, things through the, the school of experience, right? You know that firsthand. When Jesus is talking about with this abiding in his word, it's a kind of, of knowledge, that kennen kind of knowledge, that relational experiential knowledge of actively abiding in his word. And then through that, having a deeper understanding of what it means to know the truth, the truth that sets us free. So this is the, the shape of piety that actively abiding in God's word. But I want to contrast that with pietism. So pietism is a negative thing. Piety is a positive thing. And there you've got a table on your handout. I'm going to fill this in for you. I'm going to write it also on the whiteboard. I don't know. Can you guys see that whiteboard? Well, you can see it a little bit. Okay. Um, but I'll, I'll, you're seeing some nods. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> So first of all, piety, the positive, let's put a positive there, pietism, the negative one. Piety is one rooted in God's gifts, okay? 
Piety is rooted in God's gifts. So everything starts and flows from him. We receive those gifts, and that is the, the basis for our relationship with him, for our communion with him, and for our, our, our life of piety. Pietism, by contrast, is rooted in man's efforts. Rooted in man's efforts. Right? Nice and big, Anne tells me. All right. Do what I can. <clears throat> so this obviously follows along with what I talked about in the sermon today. Pietism very much reflects a human ladder theology, where through my efforts, through my energies, I'm going to climb up and ascend up to heaven. Whereas piety reflects that divine ladder theology of God coming down, bestowing his gifts and his blessings on me, and then me living in response to them. So that secondly, piety is about growing in God's grace. Growing in God's grace. Isn't the whiteboard such an improvement from the blackboard? Uh, the blackboard, why did we ever have the blackboard? You knew that you were always just an accidental scratch away from ruining everybody's day. With the whiteboard, it's nice and smooth, just goes right on. But I digress. What's that? People are like, okay, good. Um, I, I hope nobody was like a peddler of blackboards or something. I don't mean to insult or offend. So piety is growing in God's grace, whereas pietism is moving beyond grace, moving beyond grace. And I had to laugh only so I didn't cry. In Spokane, there was a church. It was a Lutheran church, friends, and that it was like a newer church. And so it wasn't just a St. John or a Trinity Lutheran. They entitled themselves, they called themselves Beyond Grace Lutheran Church. And I just wanted to storm in there and ring the pastor by his, you know, clerical collar and say, what are you talking about? Beyond Grace Lutheran Church? That, no, maybe a Baptist church calls that. Okay, sorry. No, no offense against the Baptist. Not even the Baptists would say that. How could there be a Beyond Grace Lutheran Church? Yes, question. Maybe it was like Grace Beyond Grace. Okay, Anne's putting the best construction on it. She says maybe it was Grace Beyond Grace. I'm going to assume that because I was so scandalized, I couldn't believe it. But according, so pietism has that attitude like, oh, grace was good at the beginning, you know, saved by grace. Yeah, I can say that. But now it's really up to me. See, it's about, it's about me and, and my efforts and what, I, what I'm going to contribute to the equation. Whereas piety recognizes it's all grace. See, we are always living on the ladder with Jesus, the Lord who is coming to us and who is continually accompanying us and, and strengthening us. Okay, thirdly, piety is external and objective. External and objective. Whereas pietism is just the opposite. It's internal and subjective. And you probably can't read this anyway, but I'm still going to write. Okay. Piety is external and objective. This goes along with it being rooted in God's gifts. It's coming from without. It's God coming to me through his external word. It's, it has that firm grounding in his truth. Whereas pietism is internal and subjective. And I don't mean to suggest that, of course, faith is internal and the Holy Spirit is internal and God's work is at work within us. And there's a subjective side to it. But pietism just emphasizes that side to it so that you'll hear things like, well, I feel like God is telling me this, 
or you, you suddenly anchor your relationship to him in your own personal moods and attitudes and feelings. And yeah, it's a very dangerous place to be. And I think it really goes along with what I talked about that shadow side of the human ladder theology, where that can really lead to either despair or to this kind of just um, rank anger, anger at God, anger at others, and to that sense of competitiveness where I'm going to try and get past everybody else just to try and appease my um, internal sense. So piety is first and foremost external and objective. It has the internal and subjective as well, but it's anchored in God's external word. And finally, um, fourth and finally, piety is a kind of filial devotion and pietism is a servile devotion. What do these terms mean? Filial is a, a word which is to say family. It's a kind of family devotion. So the way that you are devoted to your parents or to your grandparents, the way that you're devoted to somebody that you love and care about whom you want to serve, see, out of that sense of, of gratitude and love, that's filial devotion. Servile devotion is the devotion of the slave or the servant, the one who is doing what they got to do just in order to get by, cooperate to graduate, right? Like, I'm just going to, uh, if this is what I have to do, it's what I got to do so that I don't get fired or so that I don't get a beating or so that I don't get this, that, or the other thing. Um, piety is ultimately grounded in that filial devotion to our heavenly father because we know that he loves us, because we know that his, his grace toward us is unconditional and his favor, then we respond with lives uh, devoted to him, not out of uh, fear, although there, I mean, we do fear, love, and trust him, but not foundationally out of fear, but out of gratitude. All right, I've just said a lot with this right here, so I'm going to pause for a second. If you've got questions or comments, go ahead and um, type them in, or you can uh, raise your hand, and, and we'll, uh, we'll take those, or I'll just keep plowing ahead. <laughs> Give you just a second there. Really, we'll miss having you guys. I miss having you right here, right? And uh, we'll we'll get there soon. But I'm glad that we're able to at least do it this way. And did you have a thought? Yeah. Um, I mean, we often, as Christians, sometimes we do hear from the Lord. We hear from the Lord. Yeah, the subjective side of it. Right. But there are times when God is calling us. Right. Yeah, good. So, uh, in case you didn't hear what Anne had to say, um, okay. So, um, Anne's question is, well. But there are times when, when God speaks to us or is calling us to um, particular things, and, and what about that? So are we just saying that it's just silence from heaven and we never pay attention to a kind of more internal or subjective prompting from, prompting from the Holy Spirit? And I would say no, but here's, here's the key, is that it's always normed and measured against God's word. It's always normed and measured against God's word. So that if we have a, a sense of the, the Lord's leading or prompting in a particular way, we want to check that with, uh, against the scriptures. And you say, okay, well, sometimes it's not that clear. So the classical um, kind of uh, example would be, what about for a, a vocation or a career change, right? 
And maybe I'm thinking, oh, you know, God might be calling me to this other area of service, but is that just me wanting that? Or is that actually God calling me to it? To which my response is this, unless you're wondering whether you should become a serial killer or a mob hitman, um, you probably just follow where your passions lead. God is going to use you in all these different areas. It's not like, oh, God loves a businessman, but he doesn't love um, a, a plumber or a tradesman or something like that. God uses us in all these different areas. So I think that there's a, a vast swath of existence where it's just a matter of following the Ten Commandments, seeking to be faithful. Um, where we get into trouble is when there's this kind of People uh, invoke a direct, thus saith the Lord, and say, well, God told me. And, I mean, you've probably followed this in the news recently. There were people who said this when it came to the, the Capitol riots last week. God told me that President Trump still needs to be president. I'm not trying to get political here. This is a, a theological assessment. But they were saying, I've gotten this direct word from the Lord that said this is what needs to happen. And so I'm going to keep pressing on. That's very very dangerous for reasons that we've we've already seen that if you don't have a, a kind of clear norming of scripture then uh you should not be taking up arms because you think god told you that so and so is supposed yeah. to be in office right i don't care if it's republican democrat yeah. whatever it's just a dangerous place to be so long answer to your short question Thank always you. test it with scripture and listen to the the godly counsel of other friends uh christian friends pastor that sort of thing. Okay, there's another question. Um, if Anne is Go ahead, Margaret, if you want to unmute yourself and then speak up. I believe I did, didn't I? Can you hear me? I can't hear, hear you here, so okay. can you... Uh, we can't hear Anne when she talks. Maybe she needs to unmute. Sorry, her. we can't hear you. So maybe if you can um, type it into the, into the chat, I apologize okay. for that. I think it's probably because I've got my thing muted so that we don't get feedback. Okay. Um, so if, if you... So, Ann, I can hear you. Just you so can't you know. hear because the computer's muted, so we don't get the feedback. Yeah. Right. You'll be able. Yeah, go ahead. Just yeah, just unmute. Okay, Margaret, go ahead. Oh, Margaret, I can hear you now. Yeah, I can hear you too. Okay, okay. <laughs> now, I think George has a question, Pastor. Okay. When a person is called a, a pious person, is that a positive or a negative? Yes, yeah. Uh, when a person is called a pious Christian, now i got to mute that one again. Um, is that a positive or a negative? That's a great question. And I, I think that people will often use that in a negative kind of way. Oh, he thinks he's so right. pious. That's often how it goes. She's, she's just so pious. And it's usually involved, you know, some kind of body language like this. What I'm trying to argue here is that I don't think that that should be a negative term. I think that it should be a positive term and a, a term that we really embrace and aspire to, that we would be pious Christians, pious um, people of God. But I think to your point, many times it is used in a negative way. And I think when people use it in a negative way, what they have in mind is what we call that kind of pietism, you know, pietistic, um, rather than that kind of genuine, humble, um, grateful uh, relationship with the Lord. So good question. 
Cool. Okay, let's go on to uh, number three here, and I'm debating how long I'm going to keep you guys today. So uh, we'll just keep going until uh, we get too bored or I'm I'm hungry. Um, number three, to cultivate deeply rooted faith, the practice of piety is essential. And this just underscores what we've already been saying, but here's an important passage from Matthew 7. Maybe you already had this in mind with the story I told at the outset. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. All right, it's a familiar passage and image that the Lord uses, but it was only a couple of years ago that I recognized, realized those italicized words that I have for you in this passage, that Jesus doesn't say everyone who hears these words of mine and believes them will be like a wise man, but he says everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. And what's the difference there? What, what is he saying? Well, I think that there's something about the actual practicing of the faith that is sedimenting that faith into our bones. So this isn't a kind of, you know, James faith versus works sort of thing, but it's that our faith comes deeper into the heart as we actually exercise it, as we put it into practice. We hear the words of Jesus and we do them so that now it really cements it in our soul. Does that make sense? Whereas if we just, I mean, James does talk about this, we just hear the word of God and then don't do it. We're like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and turns away and forgets what he looks like, see? So to the contrary, we hear those words of God and we put them into practice. And in that practice, in the, that exercise of the faith, then the truth of God's word becomes more deeply rooted within our hearts and within our soul. So that Jesus says, the one who hears those words and doesn't do them, you're just being a foolish man. And you're, but you're fooling nobody but yourself, right? So I think it's important for us to recognize, yeah, I mean, uh, we're Lutherans, we're saved by grace through faith alone, that doesn't change. But to recognize, as Luther would also say, faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by the good works, which are the fruit of faith, as we put into practice uh, what we have heard and received. Okay, with me? Anybody want to strenuously uh, object, object to that? Or tell me I'm a heretic. <laughs> oh, sorry, I can't hear you. That's uh, that's too bad. Um. <laughs> uh, Pastor? Yeah, Rick, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, try and, I'm you know, get... kind of kind of in colloquial terms, you know, sometimes it's as simple as walk the talk. Right. So uh, as Rick said there, so, some and just in kind of uh, colloquial colloquial terms, it's walking the talk, right? Or as people say, practicing what we preach. In this respect, it might be it's practicing what we have preached to us, um, receiving that word and then doing it, li living it out, not in a way that's always going to be perfect or consistent even, but in a way that uh, we are making those baby steps and the Lord uses that to further deepen our faith um, and our relationship with him. Good. All right. So now we're, we're rounding the corner. So the way I want to um, have us think about this is piety is kind of that big picture way of thinking about how we are actively abiding in God's word. So this is us cultivating the gifts that we have already received from, from God. And now, so number four, piety takes shape in spiritual disciplines, okay? 
So if you're kind of envisioning this, imagining it, so piety is sort of the big um, category heading. And then spiritual disciplines are a, um, an incarnation or a, um, an expression of that piety. It's a way that we are exercising our piety. That makes sense? So uh, you, you hear this, you get at this um, with the words of St. Peter in 2 Peter here. This is 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. Peter writes this, for this re very reason, which is to say, because you belong to, to Christ, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I think what Peter is saying here is he's just echoing the teaching of Jesus, that um, we become that wise man as we not only receive the word of God, but when we put it into practice. As Peter says, they, these keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter doesn't say that you won't be saved, okay? That's a different conversation. But it's possible that you can be saved, that you can belong to Christ and still have, to kind of change the metaphor a little bit, a failure to thrive, a failure to thrive in faith. You're, you're not somebody who's not saved, who's not redeemed by Christ. Yes, you are, but you are not um, bearing fruit to the fullness of the capacity that God has created you for um, if th that faith is not also being practiced. And then, yes, if um, things go really hard, like Jesus says, if the wind and the waves are coming, if there's a grave storm, it can also make you more susceptible to those real challenges to your faith. And I think if the last 10 months have, have taught us anything when it comes to um, uh, spiritually speaking, is that this is precisely where many, many people are at. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, keeps me up at night as uh, as pastor. So the piety uh, takes shape in these spiritual disciplines where we are practicing our faith, um, lest it be ineffective or unfruitful. All right. So what are spiritual disciplines then? And let me put it in as simple a terms as possible. Number five on your handout. Spiritual disciplines are basically godly habits. Spiritual disciplines are basically godly habits. All right. So habits, I don't know for you if when you hear about habits, if that has a negative or a, a positive connotation. I think for many of us, the first thing we think about when it comes to habits is, you know, our mom scolding us that, you know, we don't have bad habits or, you know, my mom telling me, you know, if you make that face, it's going to stay that way, right? thing is i have met people where it looks like their face stayed that way i think that moms actually are on something like that <laughs> but you know you think of other habits you know we, when we think of habits we tend to think of bad habits whether it be you know chewing on your nails or spitting or all these sorts of things those are habits those are bad habits but there's also good habits so take a minute think about what is an example of a good habit it doesn't have to be a religious thing or a faith um, thing although it could be Think for a minute, what are some good habits that are important for, for you to have? Take a minute and go ahead and type in the chat box if you can think of any good habits 
that you want to practice or that you want to encourage in others. It can be a, a spiritual or faith-related thing or just something of a, a general kind of human nature. What are some examples of habits that you can, good habits that you can think of? And Anne, you can just call them out as they come through. Laugh often and smile. Yeah, make, make a habit of, of smiling. I mean, that can be the opposite way. There's people like that. I don't think he, I can't tell if he's with us or not, but uh, Gordon Danke, whose birthday is tomorrow, he's somebody who I think is a positive version of whenever I see Gordon, it just looks like he has, he always has a smile on his face and he's ready to burst out into laugh, laughter with whatever he happens to be telling. He's got that, that positive habit. I think it's a, a beautiful thing. Other uh, examples of good habits to, uh, to cultivate. Margaret, did you have one you wanted to share? Hold on, you're muted. If you, um, let's see if I can unmute you. I can't. Oh, Tara also says stopping to listen. Yeah, stop, stopping to listen. It's okay. Yeah. Um, can you mute me again? I'm. I'm trying to hear Margaret. <laughs> Did you have one? Well, we had kind of a silly one, maybe, but, you know, you get in certain habits, you brush your teeth, you make your bed, there's certain things you do that can be good or bad habits. Yeah. Go ahead and mute on. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, those are small things that maybe, we, hopefully you get them onto autopilot, right? If you had to think every day about whether or not you're going to brush your teeth or make your bed or what have you, um, that would be really taxing. So habits are essentially, and a lot of recent neuroscience has fleshed this out, that it's basically like um, a, a kind of cognitive autopilot. It's stuff that you don't have to think about. And what spiritual disciplines help us to do are to cultivate good and godly habits so that, um, you know, brushing your teeth or eating your vegetables, you know, I don't know what the spiritual uh, equivalent of that. And I, even to put it that way makes it sound like, oh, this is just something you've got to do. And to be honest, there is an aspect of that, but it can also be a joyful thing, like making a habit of smiling and of laughing. Were there any other ones in the chat, man? Go ahead. Yeah, that's great. So thank you note, saying thank you, that kind of gratitude, that's a, that's a great point. And exercising, absolutely, is a great habit to have, even you know, just walking a little bit. Informed optimism. Well put, Rick. That's right. So it, it's not just rosy-eyed naivete, but an informed optimism, um, or as I like to think about it, true Christian hope, where we look full-eyed into the future and we don't say, oh, everything's just going to be okay, knowing sometimes things aren't okay, but that in the final accounting, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well, because Jesus has the victory we shall rise from the dead. So that's the ultimate information we need for that informed optimism, which is Christian hope. Good. Anything else? Okay. Well, so spiritual disciplines are basically godly habits. And here on the handout, I've drawn a, a, a etymological connection, which is to say a word-based connection, um, which is a little bit contrived, but it, 
it underscores the point, which is to say disciples practice discipline. Okay. This isn't like something that's uh, an optional sort of thing, or like this is just for spiritual all-stars, the people who really want to be sold out or serious about their faith, those who are really climbing the ladder. No, this is just part and parcel of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Disciples practice discipline. These things go together with, with who we are. And really, when it comes down to it, it's not a question of whether you're going to have habits. It's just what those habits are going to be, see? Some people have a habit of not reading the Bible. Some people have a habit of not praying to the Lord unless things get really grievous. What we're trying to do is turn that around and have positive habits rather than negative ones. Yeah, Ann. Yeah, good question. So Anne's question is, is discipline, a spiritual discipline, one of the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk into, Ephesians 2.10. And I would say, yeah, the, all the things that we're going to t- talk about are these good works that God has already prepared in advance for us to walk into. And uh, just to get ahead of us a little bit, we're going to be looking at things that are both more personal, like our time of daily prayer and confession, but also that are more corporate and the life of fellowship with others, witness, and doing works of mercy. So these are all good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk into, recognizing, again, that piety side of it, that we're on the divine ladder, the one that has uh, been prepared for us by our Lord and who's accompanying us um, with it all, all throughout it. So to speak to these spiritual disciplines, just to give you a couple of scriptures um, to, to underscore this, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So run that you may obtain it. Don't just dawdle, right? Don't be one of those guys like in the football game who when it's not his play, he's just kind of doing one of these, right? So run that you may obtain it. Apply yourself to it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul says, look, you have been redeemed by Christ. So get after it, right? And embrace the good works that God has given to you, not in order that you may obtain his favor, but because you already are favored by him. Paul writes again in 1 Timothy 4, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, exercise is a good habit. Godliness is of value in every way. If you've got to choose between exercise and reading your Bible, well, then put in an audio Bible and exercise while you listen to your Bible. Oh, there, there's a hack for you. Um, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So this is, uh, godliness is of great gain, this spiritual discipline. And just to uh, establish my, you know, Lutheran credentials with this, um, I'm going to give you a quote from the, our Lutheran confessions, which says, the Lutheran reformers teach that every Christian ought to train and subdue himself with bodily restraints or bodily exercises and labors that neither satiety nor slothfulness tempt him to sin but not that we may merit grace or make satisfaction for sins by such exercises. And such external discipline ought to be urged at all times, not only on a few and set days. So Christ commands, take heed lest your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. There's some King James for you. 
Paul also says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Here he clearly shows that he was keeping under his body not to merit forgiveness of sins by that discipline, but to have his body in subjection and fitted for spiritual things and for the discharge of duty according to his calling. That's a long-winded way of saying the purpose of these spiritual disciplines is to make us the most fit disciple to be used in the Lord's service. See, at the end of the day, it's not just about you and me getting better for our own sake so that we feel good about ourselves. I think that, that can be a, a corollary benefit, but ultimately it's so that we are fit to be able to serve others. So I'll give you a, just a physical analogy with this. I, I want to stay in reasonably good physical condition so that I'm able to care for my family. And this is one of the things that was so hard uh, being sick is that I'm laid up in bed. I'm not good to anybody. I'm just, I'm just sitting there, you know, reading books and um, eating chicken noodle soup. I need to get better so that then I'm able to, to care for my wife, to care for my kids. See, health is important in its own right, but it also serves this larger purpose of equipping me and enabling me to be a blessing and to service to others. Likewise, when we talk about this practice of piety, the spiritual disciplines in particular, it's not just to serve yourself so that you will grow. That's part of it, but also and even more so, so that you will be a fit vessel that the Lord will be able to use to continue to bless others. And let me be clear about this. It's not the case that God is not already doing this in you and through you. He is. He takes whatever meager efforts we are able to offer and he uses it in ways beyond our knowing. Remember the little boy that brought to the Savior two fish and five loaves of bread. Jesus didn't say, is that all you got? He said, I can work with that, right? Whatever we're able to give to God, he is able to multiply and to use it in service to others. So don't hear me saying right now you're a schlub and by the end of this Bible study, you're going to be a real superstar, all right? Already, you are the favored of God. What we're seeking to do is to be even more useful and capable in the hands of our Savior. Does that make sense? I want to be, I want to be clear on that point that you guys are, are with me there. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap this up. Just a, a couple more things. <clears throat> Number six, this is more just a, an administrative point to say spiritual disciplines are not a closed category. Okay, so this isn't like there is a, a canonical set of spiritual disciplines. The way that we talk about sacraments, or when we talk about sacraments, we really mean primarily baptism and the Lord's Supper. Okay, that's more of a, a closed category. Spiritual disciplines are much more open-ended. See, so they include or are not limited to prayer, fasting, simplicity, fellowship, journaling, stewardship, study, evangelism, contemplation, confession, solitude, gratitude, silence, celebration. And um, the book that uh, is maybe the most popular on this topic, and perhaps some of you are familiar with it, is by uh, a Quaker by the name of Richard Foster called A Celebration of Discipline. And it's not about how great it is to spank your kids, okay? Uh, maybe some people have been let down when they got that book and found out, oh, that's not what it's about. No, it's about, <laughs> sorry, it's about the spiritual disciplines. And uh, many of these come from Richard Foster, and we'll use some from his uh uh, discussion, but not all of them, but it, it's a good book. It has its flaws, but I, um, I, I do recommend you picking that up. We're going to be looking at, at several of these at about, uh, I think nine or 10 of them over the course of this. My goal is for this study to bring us, take us up, up through Lent, up to the season of Easter. I thought this is a fitting thing for us to study 
um, right now in just kind of the season of life that we're in as we're still dealing with all this pandemic stuff. Um, but then also getting into the liturgical season of Lent, I think it's going to be a useful um, conversation for us to be, to be having. Um, the Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Yeah, spelled the normal way. Came out probably 30 years ago. The thing that most sticks with me from that book, it's been a while since I've, I've read the whole thing, is in his conversation on fasting, he gets into real specific details like how long you can be fasting from food and water before you pass out. <laughs> you know, like he, he has really tested this to see, you know, you can go for two weeks. Or, uh, so if you're really interested in those details, go ahead and, and check out his book. What's that? What's that? Pole sitting is not one of the, uh, <laughs> the disciplines that we're going to, that we're going to get into. Yes. Hospitality. Yes. Uh, I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but we're going to talk about confession. As I said, we're going to talk about um, praise and singing. We're going to talk about giving. Um, we're going to talk about uh, mercy. As I mentioned, um, koinonia, which is that rich biblical word that's translated as fellowship, but it's, it's a lot more than that. And um, let me see what else here. Study. Of course, it's near and dear to my heart. Um, it's one discipline, but not everything. So um, we're going to get into a, a bunch of these. And if there's a particular one that you are really interested in, I'm open to, to your suggestions. So feel free to email me if you're like, man, Pastor, I would love, I really want to make sure that we hit on this topic. If it's pole sitting, I'm probably going to say, like, what is pole sitting? So this was actually a practice in the early church. There were some of the desert fathers, um, and they were called the stylites, who would sit on like, picture like a telephone pole. You just sit up there and spend time with the Lord, you know, for Jesus. Okay. Uh, needless to say, that was very much in tune with the human ladder theology. Like, let's see if we can do this. And pilgrimages and all these things that the monks were doing tended to be focused on more of a human ladder theology. Not everything. There was some good stuff. The life of prayer is very important study. But some of those things were just like, you know, you're being a spiritual show off. Like, come on, sitting on a pole, you're not helping anyone. I digress. Last point I want to make today, and I appreciate you guys' patience and, and participation this morning, is uh, number seven, piety is practiced in community. And that just goes along with some of the things I've already been saying. It's not just about our individual spirituality because we're not trying to save ourselves. We're already saved. We've been incorporated into the body of Christ, and now we get to live out this adventure of discipleship in the company of one another. And it feels almost cruel to say that as we're here, you know, virtually over Zoom. But even still, friends, we are part of the body of Christ, a community that is separated um, by neither time nor space. And so as um, the author of Hebrews writes, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You notice the author of Hebrews uses that word habit there. And this is one thing that I think is going to be important for us going forward as we're moving through this pandemic. It is going to end, or Jesus is going to return either way, um, that uh, I think it, it has been natural for some of us to maybe fall into some habits, which maybe if they weren't altogether bad, are not 
the ultimate positive thing. So getting back into that habit of gathering together, getting back into the, the habit of, of worshiping the Lord in the company of others. Um, that might be a challenge for some of us, and it's something that we're going to want to spur ourselves on. But going forward, guys, we're going to get into these spiritual disciplines and see how we can be growing as God's people, growing not beyond grace, all right, not beyond grace, but growing in grace, rooted in God's gifts and out of a life of, uh, of love and gratitude for our Savior. So thank you again for joining us this morning. Um, even it, when we do start having the in-person Bible study, I'm planning to continue offering the virtual side of it as well. So even if you're not able to join us in person, you'll be able to, to do it virtually. So uh, thank you for your patience with all the technological stuff. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to sort it out. Let me close this with a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we do give you thanks that you have claimed us, that you continue to nurture us and nourish us with your gifts. We pray, Lord, that we would go forward boldly, knowing that you accompany us every step of the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, thank you for joining us, and we'll uh, see you again very soon. Take care.